Well, good morning again, church family. So good to see you all today. Our uh, teaching passage this morning is from Psalm chapter 81, verse 8 through 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 81, 8 through 16. And if you prefer, we uh, we have it on the screen right here. Oh, we don't? That's okay. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, all right, here we go. Psalm 81, 8 through 16. So this is uh, the Lord speaking to his people. He says, Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from a rock. I would satisfy you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Still our bodies, still our minds, still our hearts. Help us to be in a posture of simply receiving your word. Lord, thank you that you are speaking to us today and every day. Lord, help us to truly, as we just read in this psalm, help us to listen. To listen. Lord, we're not in a rush. We're not in a rush. We're here. We want to hear you. We want to hear what you have to say to us today. Speak into our hearts what you're speaking to us, collectively and individually, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his book, You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith he tells a story. He says, in 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, Congress convened a hearing to discern what happened in another nautical tragedy. So the Titanic wasn't the only nautical tragedy. In 1914, there was another one. In January of that year, in thick fog off the Virginia coast, the steamship Monroe 
was rammed by the merchant vessel Nantucket. So Nantucket and Monroe ran into each other and eventually sank. 41 sailors lost their lives in the frigid winter waters of the Atlantic. While it was Osmond Berry, captain of the Nantucket, who was arraigned on charges, in the course of the trial, Captain Edward Johnson was grilled on the stand for over five hours. During cross-examination, it was learned, as the, as the New York Times reported, that Captain Johnson navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficiently true to run a ship and that it was the custom of masters in a coastwise trade to use such compasses. His steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year he was master of the Monroe. The faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved otherwise. This realization partly explains a heart-rending picture recorded by the Times. Later, the two captains met, clasped hands, and sobbed on each other's shoulders. The sobs of these two burly men are a moving reminder of the tragic consequences of misorientation. What is today? It's, yeah, it's New Year's Eve. It's December 31st. It's the ending of the year. And what do people do on New Year's Eve? People do a lot of reflection, and people do a lot of vision casting. Wow, what's next year going to look like as a family? What's next year going to look like individually in my own life? What's next year going to look like in my neighborhood, in my country? And not only do we vision cast individually and as a family, we vision cast as a church. And actually, next month in January, we're going to have a vision series. We're going to be casting a lot of vision for where we're going together as a church family. And it's great to have vision. It's great to have vision. But before we get into that, I want us to ask individually and as a church, do we have a reliable compass. It's great to have a vision of where we want to go. It was great for these men on these ships to have this vision. But did they have a reliable compass? No. It was disastrous. Can we learn from that? Do we have a reliable compass? Well, throughout all of Scripture, God has actually offered his people a reliable compass. What do you think that is? A lot of you are saying the Bible. And I think you're close. Jesus. Oh, I think that's actually the right answer. God has offered us, throughout Scripture, a reliable compass, and it's himself. It's himself. Can y'all hear me? Let's try this one. Yep. Can you hear me now? Yep. Feels like a Verizon commercial. <laughs> so throughout all of scripture, God has offered a reliable compass himself. 
And yes, you know, Scripture is a gift from him, but ultimately, the reliable compass is God himself. So let's, let's just think about all of Scripture. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve had God's directions to avoid death in the garden. Abraham had God's call to the land that I will show you. Sarah had God's assurance that God would give her a son in her old age. Noah had God's instructions to build an ark before the great flood. Moses had God's commandments literally inscribed on tablets for his people by God himself. David had God's promises to hold on to in the darkest moments of his life. Elijah had God's voice to comfort him and guide him to the next steps of his ministry. Jeremiah had God's message like a fire in his bones to compel him to speak. What do we have? What do we have? Well, one of you actually got the answer already. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. That is who we have as our reliable compass guiding us into the next year and beyond. According to Hebrews, we have the most reliable compass we could ever imagine when we follow Jesus because he is God with us. So we spent all of this last season examining the fact that God is with us. So as we step into 2024 and beyond, what does it look like for Bowling Green Baptist Church? What does it look like for you as, as a disciple of Jesus? What does it look like for you as a husband or a wife or son or daughter? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in the direction that he's taking us? Well, the first thing it looks like, according to our passage, our teaching passage today, it looks like listening to his words. It looks like listening to his words. Look at verse 8 through the beginning of verse 10 with me again. God says, hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god. Whoa. I promise puberty is over. I'm out of it. (laughs) I don't know why my voice cracked like that. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Okay. So, you know, me and Marcella, when we came here, we came from Dallas. I think I've said that like 40 times. You know that. Now, we didn't fly here. We, we drove here. Now, we drove from uh, Dallas, Texas to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. We stayed in an Airbnb for one night. Then we left from Little Rock, Arkansas, and we stopped that night in Knoxville, Tennessee. That was fine. We left Knoxville, Tennessee the next morning and stopped in Lexington, Virginia for the night. And we stayed in this cozy little cabin in Lexington. That was so cool. The next morning, we left from Lexington, Virginia to Bowling Green, Virginia. Now, I know you were not there with us in the car, but can you guess what we had on the dashboard the whole ride over there? What did we have? What do you think, Dee GPS, yeah, yeah, a map. We had a map on our phone. So look, 
If our map that we have on our phone, if it did not line up with reality, if, if that map was not accurate and it did not line up with reality, do you know what? We would not have arrived at those places we were looking for. We wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it. What I want you to see is that it's, it's not just phones that work that way, it's our minds that work that way. Our minds are the same way. If what we think does not line up with reality, we will be lost. You know, psychologists talk about how we all operate out of mental maps. We all have mental maps. But if they don't line up with reality, we'll be lost. So why does the Lord want us to listen to him? Well, because when our mental maps align with reality, our lives can align with and move towards what's true instead of what's false. John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, he says, the ideas that we believe in our minds and then let into our bodies give shape to the trajectory of our souls. Put another way, they shape how we live and who we become. When we believe truth, that is, ideas that correspond to reality, we show up to reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies, to our sexuality, to our interpersonal relationships, and above all, to God himself in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions for his creation. As a result, we tend to be happy. But when we believe lies, ideas that are not congruent with the reality of God's wise and loving design, and then tragically open our bodies to those lies and let them into our muscle memories, we allow an ideological cancer to infect our souls. We live at odds with reality, and as a result, we struggle to thrive because reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. So who and what we listen to deeply shapes us, and it, sh- it sets the trajectory of our lives. Listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 8, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then what will happen? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the trajectory that God has for our lives. That's what his words are meant for, to lead us into freedom, to lead us into the life that God has for us, to lead us where he created us to go to. But here's what I want you to see. The good news of the gospel is not that we have to go and find that, but the good news of the gospel is that God finds us in our lostness and he compassionately guides us into freedom. That's what we see happening with Jesus coming and finding the disciples and saying, hey, come and follow me. And then they turn their direction and they come and follow him into where? Freedom. Freedom. So we follow Jesus into 2024 and beyond. It looks like listening to his words to us, but it also looks like trusting his heart. We listen to his words, but we trust his heart. We trust why he tells us what he tells us. Look at verse 11 through 16. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. 
So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. What do we see here? What do we see here? We see the heart of God. And what is that? It's the heart of a loving father. Do you hear the language here? Oh, if only my kids would listen to me, I would take them where they need to go. But they refuse. And so I've let them go where they want to go. But here we see the heart of a loving father. Earlier this week, I I was at the store and, and I met a guy and he started talking about his family. We started talking about uh, his son. And I, I asked him about fatherhood, what it was like to be a dad, what he had learned. And he told me two things that stood out to me. The first thing that stood out to me is he said, uh, and he said these exact words, it's love on another level. And I thought, whoa, that's, that's cool. He said, yeah, you know, I love my wife, you know, I love my family, but I've never experienced love like this before, like I do for my son. That's the first thing he said to me. And the second thing he said was, it's, it's hard being a dad because you want to help your child, but they don't always listen. Did he just want to control his child? No, he wanted to guide his child. He wanted to help his child. Everything he said was for the sake of his child. And throughout Scripture, God identifies himself as a loving father to his people. Look at what we see in Hosea chapter 11. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. Now look, I just want to say something. Kind of as an aside, a lot of people have a hard time with this language of God being a father. And the reason for that is that many people, I'm sure many of you, did not have a loving father. So when you hear God is a father, you say, why would I want that? My dad didn't love me. Why would I want another dad who doesn't love me? And if that has been your experience, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That is not right. That's evil. That is so sad. That's not the way it's meant to be. But I also want to tell you that their example is not the example that God is comparing himself to here. That's not what God's talking about. God's talking about a loving father who cares deeply for his sons, for his daughters, When a father truly loves his child, he longs to guide them and he longs to help them. John Tyson, uh, my personal favorite preacher, John Tyson, um, he talks about how uh, when he had his son, Nate, he realized that he himself had never been discipled as a believer, had never had a father figure in that way. And so he wanted to give to his son what he had never received. And so what did he do? He actually crafted a curriculum of discipleship. He said, I'm going to take my son through that, and I'm going to meet with him every 
morning. So he put together this whole program for his son. And in his book, The Intentional Father, John Tyson says, while I was walking with my son, Nate, down this path, we had a daily ritual where we would sit down and have time together in the mornings. It was a discipleship meeting. We basically woke up early and drank coffee together. That sounds fun. After about two years of doing this, Nate stopped in the middle of one of our sessions and said to me, Dad, where did you get all of this? Where did all of this come from? What do you mean? I asked him. He paused. I mean, who took you through this program? Where did you learn all this stuff about manhood? Who helped you get it in your life? I sat there silently, thinking through his question. The truth was, no one had done this with me. No one poured into my life like this, I explained quietly. I made this whole thing up for you. I did it because I love you. I care about you. And I have a vision for who you can be in the world. I made this program for you because I want you to be a man of consequence. It was an extraordinary moment. Tears filled his eyes. Wow, Dad, he said in a hushed voice. I feel really, really loved. Do you know that God's words are given to us for the same purpose? What God says to us is not just meant to say things to us. Because God has a vision for who we could become, for where we could go in the future. God is speaking to us because he loves us. He cares deeply about us. God's words to us are reliable because God's heart towards us is love. So we know that if he tells us something, he doesn't say it lightly. It comes out of a fatherly, loving affection towards us. We can trust that everything God says to us comes out of that heart. So following Jesus into 2024 and beyond, what does it look like? It looks like listening to his word. It looks like trusting his heart. And it looks like According to this psalm, it looks like receiving his care. Just simply receiving his care. The ending of verse 10, what does God say? Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Not, I'll think about it. Just open your mouth, I'll fill it. Last week, many of you told me about the delicious food you were planning on eating on Christmas. Uh, I hope it was as delicious as you said it was. Um, I know my meals on Christmas were delicious. When, when you sat down for lunch on Christmas, did you stare at the food in front of you and leave? Um, heck no, you did not. You opened your mouth and you received it. You received it. Now, look, in this passage, God had a rich feast of provision, love, direction, protection, encouragement, and care prepared for his people. Did he want them to stare at it and leave? No, he wanted them to open their mouth and receive it. Open wide and receive it. So in the same way, 
that we receive food, how, by looking at it? No, by letting it go deep down into our stomachs. We receive God's care for us by just looking at it? No, by taking his words to us deep down into our hearts. We receive God's words and let them go, not just here, but here into our hearts. When we are open to receiving God's word, our hearts will be open to receiving God's care. That's how it works. So this week, um, I think it was actually on Wednesday, I, uh, I was having a kind of a down day. A day like we all have sometimes. I think there were a lot of just things going on in my life that were catching up with me and weighing down on me. You know, for one, I just felt very tired. Very tired just from the schedule, just from moving, just from life. I was adjusting to a lot of change. Um, just adjusting to the change of, wow, my family's not here. You know, hearing all the Christmas music about, you know, I'll be home for Christmas. You're just adjusting to that. Uh, feeling tired, just feeling, just kind of sad. Just felt very depressed that day. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We all experience that. Whether we want people to know it or not. But I was having one of those days where I just thought, oh, man, I just feel tired and sad. Yeah, I just knew I, I need something. I just need, I need to sit with Jesus right now. I just need to receive his care. And so what did I do? I, I, I went up into my room and uh, I just, I got my Bible out. And I turned to Psalm 145. I'm not sure why I did that, but I just opened my Bible up and, and there it was. And so uh, I slowly just read through it. It's been about just 30 minutes just reading God's word to me. And there was a passage. I mean, there was a verse in that passage. Verse 15, it said, the eyes of all look to you. And so I said, okay, well, let me, let me just write down on a piece of paper everything that this psalm says about God. And I just wrote down that it said, the Lord is God. He's king. He's great. He's mighty. He's majestic. He's working. He's good to all. He's righteous in all his ways. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And I won't read it all to you, but I'm only halfway down through the list of all that Psalm said to me. Psalm 15, the eyes of all look to you. And I just wrote that down. That's your Cody. Look to him. Look to him. And look, that in that moment, I was able to turn my eyes upon Jesus. And, and when I did this, it, it did not mean that all of my problems were gone, but you know what? I felt so seen, so loved, so cared for, and I felt so close to God. I was filled and I was satisfied in that moment. It changed the trajectory of my day. It was still cloudy outside, but my eyes were just turned on to the beauty of Jesus. I just, I remember there being two pastors in New York and one of them said to the other one, New York, there's so much ugliness here. You need to regularly 
fill your heart and your mind with beauty, with beauty. And that's the way it is everywhere. We have to fill our minds and our hearts with beauty. And when we open ourselves up to receive God's care, he says, I promise you, I will fill you and I will satisfy you. This is what the Lord longs to do in our lives in 2024 and beyond. And so a practice um, that we do as Christians is what do we do? We read scripture. We read scripture. God wants to speak to us. And one of the primary ways that he does that is through his written word, what we call the Bible. And so we know that and we like that. And that's very comforting. But the problem that we have is a problem of discipleship because for a lot of us, nobody ever told us how to read the Bible. Nobody ever equipped us on how do I read this? How do I take this into my heart? And of course, you know, we know how to just read, but for a lot of us, nobody's ever taken us through how do we read it. You know what? A huge part of that is just coming to church and being equipped it's having people in your life who will take you through that individually. So I don't know if you've ever received that in your life, but I promise you, as your pastor, not your chief pastor, Jesus is your chief pastor, but just as a pastor, that's one of my goals, is to teach us, to lead us in, how do I do this? How do I read the Bible? How do I take God's word into my heart? Now, what I want you to know is there are so many ways to read the Bible. Just reading the Bible uh, for study, there's reading it for devotion. And even when you do that, there's so many different ways to study and to take it into your heart personally. But what I want to do is I just want to teach you one specific way. This is not the only way. This is just a way. You know, as you're preparing to go into next year, some of you are getting reading plans for the year. Some of you are saying, well, I want to Read all the Bible in a year. That's great. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do. I don't plan on doing that next year. What I plan on doing next year is instead of trying to cram a whole lot of Bible in my mind each day, I plan on just finding a short little passage each day and just soaking it up. And this is actually... It may sound like I made this up, but no, this is an ancient practice that Christians have been practicing for thousands of years. And you may not have heard of it. It's called Lectio Divina. Now that's Latin for divine reading. What's the point of Lectio Divina? This is a way of not just reading the Bible, but it's a way of prayerfully reading the Bible. This is a way of reading the Bible with God. Have you ever heard of that concept before? For me, it's been life-changing. So if you don't want to do this, the good news is you don't have to do this. But I think this might be helpful for you. Now, there are, there are four steps to Lectio Divina. Now, the first thing I do is I find the passage. I find the passage. And so what I do is I use the Book of Common Prayer. This is a book that Anglicans and Episcopalians use. And within it is a lectionary. What is a lectionary? It's just a collection of Bible passage, passages to read each day. The good news is, if you don't know what passage to read, 
People have already spent time compiling passages for you to read in the day. Certain gospel readings, Psalms, Old Testament readings. So I actually have um, a website that I have email me those readings every day. And so once you have that passage, you just pick a short little passage. And so these are the four steps of like Divina. You ready? Read. Reflect. Respond. Rest. That's it. So the first step, read. You take the passage. You read through the text slowly. Ideally, you read it out loud. You read it out, not loud, but you read it out loud silently to yourself. And as you read the passage slowly, you just kind of ask yourself, what stands out on the page? Are there any words or are there any, any phrases that shimmer? Are there, is there anything here that, whoa, that really jumped off the page for me? So you, you read the passage slowly. You see what stands out to you. And then you read the passage again. Slowly you read it. And this time you're meditating on it. You're reflecting on it. You're saying, okay, how does this connect to my life? How can I relate to this? Or you might even just imagine yourself in the story. Wow, what would it be like to be Jesus in this story? Wow, what would it be like to be the royal official who's approaching Jesus, asking him to heal his son? You ask, how does this connect to my life? And you reflect on it. So you read, you reflect, and then you read through it again a third time. I know this seems like a lot of reading, but it's a short passage. You read through it a third time, very slowly, and you pray as you go. You pray through the text. So you take the text, and if there's something to thank God for in the text, you thank God. If you're finding a way that you relate to God, uh, or I should say you relate to the people in this passage or character in this passage, you talk to the Lord about it. It doesn't have to look one certain way, but you're just taking what you're reading and you're giving it back to God. So let's say, for instance, the Lord is my shepherd. I would read that and say, wow, Lord, you're my shepherd. Push that into my heart today. Make, make me know that my heart, that you're taking care of me, that you, that you love me. You're God in me. You see what it looks like to pray scripture? You're just taking it and you're praying towards God. It's almost like scripture acts as like a prayer prompt. Have you ever had like a journaling book that gave you prompts? Scripture gives us prompts, gives us directions to pray in. So we read, we reflect, we respond, and then we're done reading. We just rest. It's almost like when you work out, like on the treadmill, and you finish, and it says, wind down. This is what we do. You know, sometimes I have a tendency, I can read my Bible, and oh, I'm done. But we're invited to just simply rest. And when we do this, we simply enjoy being in God's presence. We just soak up the experience that we just had with the Lord. We do what we did earlier, contemplation. This is all about reading, meditating, praying, and contemplating. This practice combines all four of those in one moment. For me, it's life-changing. What a great way to start the day, to read God's word, reflect on God's word, to pray God's word, and to rest in that experience. That's a practice that I, I love. I think it's helpful.
Of course, I'm not going anywhere. I literally live here. So if you're like, hey, can you explain that to me again? I would love to. I'd love to sit down with you and talk with you about Lectio Divina. That's the practice I'm going to be using next year in my quiet times in the morning. But having said that, here, I want us to see God is not interested in us knowing a lot more about the Bible. That might sound kind of scandalous to you. What? Isn't that the whole point? God wants me to know the Bible? No, that's not the whole point. That was never the point. If you write a letter to your spouse, is the point of your relationship for them to read your letter? No, no. The relationship is the point. God's not interested in us knowing a lot more about the Bible. He is interested in us being with him and finding our life in him. That's what this is all about. Don't just stop at knowing things about the Bible. No, this is meant for us to receive his care, to receive his words, his thoughts into our hearts. In John chapter 6, verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? Does that sound weird? It does. And we know it does because it sounds weird to us. And in the passage, almost everybody left Jesus at that moment. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus compared himself to food. You have to eat my flesh. He compared himself to drink. You have to drink my blood. What was he saying? He was saying, when you come to the dinner table, you don't just look at it. You receive it. You take it deep into yourself. Jesus said, I'm the same way. Don't just come to me and look at me. Don't just hear about me. Take my very life, very existence, deep down into your heart. Don't just know about me. Live with me. Be with me. And in doing so, you'll become like me. And you'll do the things that I did. That's what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. God wants us to find our nourishment, not just in receiving words about him, but in simply receiving him into our daily lives. And church, what I, what I want you to see is he is so ready. He's so ready to fill us. He said, open wide your mouth and I will fill you. And you may have this, this thought that, oh, well, he will fill me when I do this. And he will fill me up when I do that. Or he will fill me up when I volunteer at church. Or he will fill me up when I... That's not what he said. He just said, I'm ready. I'm ready to fill your life with beauty goodness and love. I'm ready to feed you with the fattest parts of the wheat and the richest, sweetest parts of the honey from the rock. Open up. So church family, open up. He's so ready to fill you up. He is so ready. It is amazing. The question is, will you open yourself to receive his love? In his care. As we go into 2024, let's open our mouths widely to receive God's love, and God's life, God's encouragement, God's wisdom, God's truth, God's hope, God's peace, and God's presence. And we can trust that because he loves us with the heart of a loving father, we will 
be satisfied. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have loved us with an everlasting love and we are yours. Lord, we are so thankful for 2023 and we're excited about 2024. And I'm sure for all of us, there's mixed emotions. We're a little bit anxious about what's to come, a little bit worried, but we're also antsy. What's going to happen? Lord, I pray that you would help us by reassuring us that you're here with us. You're the God of the hills and you're the God of the valleys. You'll be with us in both in 2024. But Lord, help us to simply listen to your words. Help us to listen to you. Help us to trust your heart. Help us to receive your care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. And I believe we're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness.